All right, well, uh, tonight I want to spend a little bit of time, uh, uh, message tonight is on a mission for vision. And so, uh, not intentionally, and I'm, I mean this, not intentionally, I've just a couple times struggling for God to tell me what to preach on and start developing this. I think, oh wait, that really does tie into what God's talked to, had us talk about a few other times. And so, if you remember last or Sunday, is we're praying for God to speak to our hearts that we're on the same page for uh, this capital campaign, for raising the funds for the new building. But even more than the funds, about us all being uh, united and a united front in this, uh, that we're, we've got some solidarity together with this. Uh, and then, you know, before we also uh, talked about hearing from God. If you remember last Wednesday, unless I'm getting my Sundays and Wednesdays mixed up, uh, I believe I preached on um, knowing, hearing God's voice. And tonight we'll talk about uh, on a mission for vision, and I'm using the word talk and not preach because even though my format is a preaching format tonight, Don, I'm glad you're here because Don is not afraid to ask questions, right? And you are perfectly fine to wave your hand and stop me. And if I'm really like gung ho about saying something, I may ignore you for a minute, but just keep it up. I do, I do want us to because I have basically a two-part sermon. It, they're both short, so uh, it's a normal-length sermon. So we have the ability, if we need to, to take another half of this next Wednesday night. So don't worry about uh, interrupting. And, and it can be a question or it can be just something that the Lord puts on your heart to share uh, that you relate to something we're saying. And uh, so let's get into it. Uh, Proverbs chapter 29. I want to give you three different versions of this. Chapter 29, verse 18. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18. And while you're turning to that, i got to tell you another neat story. So um, unless, uh, and I'm not going to say unless, but... Uh, until God performs a miracle for Trey, uh, his time is very short. Um, it's the, all the signs are there that, that uh, medically that he's he's at home on hospice and not gonna make it. But so I told you guys a story. March 29th at noon, Trey accepted the Lord. Uh, by the time I got him praying for him and looked at the clock, it had just like we got him praying. It was like 12:02, and so um, I told him a story that I think I've told you all about Elmer McGurdy, the outlaw that. It took them like 60-some years to bury him uh, because he ended up, they, he, he got sold making them, the people thought he was a wax statue and got sold to carnivals and things like that. So I was telling him that story in reference to understanding about baptism because we baptized him after that. And then after we dried him off, anointed him with oil and prayed that God would continue to work in him and healing and also in uh, his discipleship and God speaking to him. And so in his Bible, I wrote in the front, March 29th, high noon. So he'd always remember when he accepted the Lord. And there's a scripture that I was praying for him, and it was just the wildest thing. I was praying for him, and for some reason, I decided to just look up scripture on... The weird thing is I put in vision. I was looking for a scripture for tonight. I prayed for him, and I looked scripture for tonight. I put Bible and vision... And I'm not sure why this scripture came up other than it was kind of just neat how God put this together. But Psalms 37, 5 and 6 in the message version, which is interesting because even though the message version here seems like a normal message, the message style where it's very kind of lackadaisical, it seems like in its interpretation. I looked at the SV and it's actually the same. Uh, it's one of those verses that's just written in a very easy way for us to understand, even in several versions. But it says, open up before God. Keep nothing back. He'll do whatever needs to be done. I want you to think about someone who is terminal with their earthly life here, 
who has just accepted the Lord. Open up before God. Keep nothing back. He'll do whatever needs to be done. He'll validate your life in the clear light of day and stamp you with approval at high noon. And I was like, I, I sent that message to family. And I was like, this is his verse. This belongs on the front of his Bible. It's uh, Psalms 37. Uh, this is not our text for nine. I gave you another one earlier. But Psalms 37, verses 5 and 6. Open up before God. Keep nothing back. He'll do whatever needs to be done. He'll validate your life in the clear light of day and stamp you with approval at high noon. It just blew me away. I, did, I couldn't get over it for a while. I just I looked at it again and I, I put it on Facebook, on his Facebook page, even though I know he probably won't be reading that, but the family will. I sent it to him a private message. I was just like, this is one of the most awesome things. To me, maybe not to you, but to me, it just knowing how things happen. And it just, i be honest with you, I don't think I ever even read, I'm not sure I ever read this scripture before. I didn't know it said anything like that, high noon. And, and it consequently, when I was in the hospital with him a couple of times before he went home, I'd be listening and, and the TV was always on. And there's a couple times I heard him say something about high noon. It just kept resonating. This high noon, high noon. And if God decides to take him home to be with him anytime soon, I don't think I'll be surprised if it's not at noon. <laughs> it just, it just, you know how God works. So anyway, I know that that doesn't have any great depth and meaning to each and every one of us. But I just thought I'd share with you how neat it is God leads you to the scripture. And just, it just to me it was confirmation that God's got him. And that's what, that's what I needed, is that God's got him, that his... I know his salvation was real. I saw the light in his eyes. I know the hunger that he had for God's word. And so that was just a nice comfort to me. Um, so back to Proverbs 29, verse 18, the King James Version, where there is no vision, the people perish. Now, interesting thing about us talking about vision and new song is because um, we, uh, Pastor Jim, who started this church, he, taught, he named our youth group Vision Youth Ministry. And when we had his uh, fundraiser after he passed, uh, we had a big singing and had groups come in to raise money for him and pie and cake auction. And we called it Vision for a New Song. And this scripture has been important in my life because of my youth group. That was our, our, our scripture for our youth group. And then in the NIV, where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint. Where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint. That's a little different feel to it. It's kind of like, you know, restraint is good or discipline. Pulling your life into restraint or discipline with God's word. And if you don't have any revelation from God, you'll not have restraint in your life. And then if we look at the message version, if people can't see what God is doing, they'll stumble all over themselves. But when they attend to what he reveals, they are most blessed. If people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. Okay, I want to do a little side message for a minute because this has been stirring in my heart, and I don't know who this is for. And honestly, what I'm about to say is probably for people who aren't here right now um, or people who aren't regularly attending. But, you know, God's been all over me lately about this thing about our culture being very lackadaisical, especially in this area of the Bible Belt. Not just new song. I, I talked to other pastors about, you know, we can just kind of take or leave coming together as a body. And I'm not talking about, man, 300 or 52 Sundays a year, and I missed, I missed one, so I'm only 51% saved or whatever, you know. No, I'm not talking about that. But I'm, I'm just saying that there, there's a difference between missing church and not seeing the full value of coming together as a body. 
if we didn't meet in this fashion, if it wasn't Sundays and we came together just to be strengthened one a night a week in a small group, or whatever it is, but when you assemble together, it is the meat and potatoes of learning how to do life together with those who are not believers because if you can't do it well with people who are believers, you're not going to do it well with unbelievers. In fact, they're going to have more influence on you and more pull when you aren't regularly coming together with the body of Christ. Definition of a vision, God, uh, a vision is God's preferred future. You can lack vision, and doesn't mean you're not going to go to heaven. But while you're here on earth, God has a preferred path for you. He has a preferred one. Now, you, you can mess things up. I've known people who have taken kind of almost this predestination viewpoint as, well, if I don't do something right, God will make it happen anyway because he's powerful. No, we can see plenty of examples in Scripture. You can mess up God's plan for your life. He can bring you back around and do it later. The children of Israel, you can take 40 years out wandering around instead of three, but you can't mess it up. It's preferred future. So in this two-part message, this first one, the, there's a really only a couple points in this. Number one, it is God who gives us the vision. It's God who gives us the vision. There's, here's some Old Testament examples of God giving people vision. I want to read those to you. Here's God's vision for it to Abraham. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. Now let that sink in. We've read this a lot, but um, Daryl, there's going to be a country. There's going to be a nation of people who will all point back to you. Your, your children will, will, will go out and multiply, and it will be a mighty nation. Now when you put it in the context of you and thinking, I'm just a guy who, you know, I'm just trying not to have to work at the quickie mart, you know? Just anything where I can make some money and pay my bills, right? I'm just trying to get a, I'm trying to get ahead here. And, and to say that God's going to do something that mighty with you. Uh, I shouldn't have said that about quickie mart. There's nothing wrong with working at quickie mart, okay? <laughs> but if you can choose quick trip instead, the drinks are a lot better. And I'm sure there's an employee discount. I would go for quick trip, but they don't have them here. So... I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. Man, can you imagine? Hey, Ken, you know, I just feel led to give you this uh, $100. And someone comes along and says, hey, you know what? I heard you bless Ken, and the uh, Lord's told me to bless you. Now, here's 200 Okay, Ken, here's $200. <laughs> And I will curse those who curse you. City planning last night, I've been, I was told nobody will oppose anything for a church. I mean, come on, if you're building a church next to you instead of like a bar or something like that, all the neighbors will be happy. It's a church. They're only there a certain amount of times, and then, you know, I've got a space saved that's not going to be another development or whatever. We did have somebody concerned about the RVs just a little last night, but it went good. God took care of it. I think they felt outnumbered because... One of the planning commission guys is our engineer, so he actually stepped down from the decision maker to present, or pro present it. So he probably felt like it's fruitless. But anyway, God takes care of it. So he will bless those who bless you. He'll curse, you, or curse those who curse you. And pe all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. That's Genesis 12, 2-3. All the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. Man, to be able to walk out into your community and know that just because God has made a promise that when you go out, that people will be blessed because of you. You know, that doesn't mean we walk out haughty saying, let me come and touch, 
<laughs> touch you and you shall be blessed. And then God's vision to Moses. The Lord said, and this is Exodus 3, verses 7 through 10. The Lord said, I have indeed uh, seen the mis- misery of my people in Egypt, and I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land. And a, flow, and a land flowing with milk and honey. And now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. So this is like us. We're, in a, we're in a nation I know everybody feels like because we've got a different president and there's some heat off. But let me tell you, there's an undertow still in this nation. Don't let your guard down. Keep praying. But we are still in, in, in an oppressed nation spiritually. And, and so this is a heart cry. God hears that cry. When you cry out for your nation, he knows about the suffering of his people, and he wants to rescue us. Then God's vision to Joshua. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all the people, get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give them to the Israelites. I will give you every place you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Hey, I really take this more seriously now in the past five years of my life. Because um, Pastor Jim, uh, those that you know him, probably laughed comparing to Moses. No, he's not like Moses. But, but I really, it resonates with me to understand about a, a leader that people loved and learned to respect and to follow and for God to take him on earlier than they thought. And for the next guy to come up who's really kind of a meathead and just, you know, he wants to do everything by, the, by force, you know. And, and uh, so this military leader and he, takes Joshua and uh, takes the people further. So the God's vision for Joshua. And then God's vision to Jesus in the New Testament. God's vision to Jesus the, in Luke 4, 18 and 19. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of the sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then God's vision to the disciples in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and, unless you're around Jesus' only people, then it's got to be in Jesus' name only. And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of age. I'm kidding. I don't attest to that. But... Um, if you do jail ministry, you'll know how important that is for those folks. Uh, it doesn't count to them if you don't do it in Jesus' name only. God's vision to Paul. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as servant and as a witness of what you've seen of me and what I will show you. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and place uh, and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Uh, Acts uh, 26, 16 through 18. Really the meat and potatoes of what your, your role is. I mean, uh, if God lights you up and sends you out, uh, you're always going to a people who need to be woken up to their condition. There are people in this room, including me, who there's things in my condition, my sinful condition, condition that I need woken up to. It, 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 there's not, everything is not always obvious to the person struggling. I mean, most of the time we, we know most of our struggles and we understand that, but, but there are times when we need that prophet of God that, that wants and out to tell us. You know, 
Um, I can't imagine any more godly people in my life. Uh, my mom and dad, Sister Pat and, and Brother Bill, you, you've done it for, for decades now. You've uh, raised a family to know God. But listen, if we ever get to the point where we can't be brought into correction through one of God's people, then we're in a dangerous spot. As much respect as I have for my parents and for those who have done it before us, Every single one of us have to remain teachable, have to remain correctable, because if we don't, we've come to that pharisaical point where we think we've arrived and no one can tell us any different, and we are in grave danger of losing that first love we had for Christ, getting too comfortable in doing religion and not relationship. And then we have God's vision to Paul. Now get up and stand on your feet. Was anybody sleeping? I was just going to see if anybody was standing up real quick. Um, I've appeared to you. and uh, <laughs> If I got better at that, that could be a lot of fun. Now get up and stand on your feet. I've appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you've seen of me and that I will show you. I will rescue from your own people. And I read that already. So apparently I'm double, double taken here. So we'll go on. God wants to give every believer two visions. Here's the two visions God wants to give you. And then if we get into it tonight, we'll go into some particulars about the visions. But one, God wants to give every believer a vision for their lives. Simply put, where you stand, where you sit right now tonight, what you think your future is, God still has opportunity if you allow him to change everything you think about your future. Mitch, next week he can tell you you're going to Africa as a missionary. And we're going to have to start raising funds to send Mitch and... Uh, Nathan will have to decide if he's going with you. But we're, we're going to have to raise funds. You know, God can, we, we, we may laugh about that, but God can do it. And he can shake you up in such a way that it changes everything about your future and your, where you're heading. So, so God wants to give us a vision for our lives. Now listen, if Abraham and Sarah in their elderly age can just begin a family, then no one has an excuse in here for getting too settled in. There's no age person in here. There's no status of life. There's no accomplishments. There's nothing that you have done that disqualifies you from everything changing tomorrow. You know, I know I use my parents, for example, because, you know, they've had to put up with me and I've already been in trouble enough. I figure uh, they'll stay at the church. I could make one of y'all leave, but they won't leave, right? So uh, I'll just say they could, God could call them back into full-time ministry tomorrow. And if, if dad heard that and, you know, he was, he was going to be having to pastor a church again, I'm sure he'd be shaken in his shoes. But God can do it. The second thing, God wants to give every believer a vision for heaven. Now, this one we need to get. This one beat so strong in my heart. I had a conversation today, and I've had three other, three other conversations on this in the last three weeks. Oh, there's dad. Maybe you didn't hear it. All right, so... Um, don't pick on people when they're not in the room. If we don't have a vision for heaven, then you will certainly, 100%, slip into religious, being just a religious person and you will lose relationship with God. Not in the fact of not being saved, but you'll lose that, that kind of relationship that gets you up in the morning to spend time with Him. You'll, you'll, lose, you'll lose so much of that relationship with God because there won't be any driving force in it. Heaven is not about the streets of gold. Heaven is not about the, the mansion. He, he told us that for a reason. Yes, we've we got to understand this is a great place to go. But heaven is about 
There's no more struggle in relationship with Him. And to me, that is the most wonderful part of heaven is that I don't have to struggle anymore just to commune with my Creator, to just be in fellowship with Him without the draw of sin, without the pull away from Him, without struggling with this war inside me to do what I need to do to follow Him. It's, it's now perfected body, no more effects of sin, and I have all of eternity just to enjoy being with God. See, when we, when we can connect in that way, I was telling someone today, this, this is so hard for me to put and it not sound bad towards my, my wife and kids, but I'm ready to go. I have not in most of my life ever been able to say that with all honesty and sincerity from the depths of my heart. Because I've always had certain questions about where my relationship with God is and, and just wondering if I'm really okay. And then I've, I've had times where, you know, in struggles, I'm like, well, he doesn't want me. And I've had all these things that played into it, but, but I didn't just arrive. It's not like all of a sudden my relationship with God got perfect. I don't have struggles. I don't have failures. But somewhere in the last few years, God got me really okay with just passing through here. And in that, I had to really get to the point where I know my family, if God takes me, is better off with me gone. See, that's the concept that's so hard for us to get because it's all about hanging on to people here but listen if you're all about hanging on to people here this is rough now see i couldn't have this conversation with you if you're if i'm sitting with you at the hospital and you have a loved one about to pass all right being very insensitive but now right now where as far as i know everybody that's doing well i'm telling you so you remember when i understand i love my family if one of my boys was sick sick and dying i would want god to heal him i would pray for healing i'd be in right with scripture in doing so but in the end like job i'm going to praise him anyway and I'm going to actually celebrate. If God makes that decision, then I have to be ready to celebrate because if I'm not, then I don't really believe heaven's real. I don't believe in the heaven that our Bible tells us. If one of my boys, tonight one of my boys, I'm praying and he anointed me with oil. They begin to pray for him and anoint him with oil. I, did, I haven't taught them to do that other than maybe they've seen it here, but they, they felt the need to and it, and it ministered to me. And immediately I had this rush of my own children are ministering to my spirit. They're ministering to me. And, I, and I'm thinking about the fact that there's no mother, father, no male or female in heaven, that we are just children of God. And to be on a different plane with your own kids as an equal. How awesome is that? Think about what you, the fact that how much you love your children and being able to just celebrate and worship Jesus with them. And they're not responsible to you and you're not responsible to them in the same sense anymore. You know, Sabe, he's not going to be able to tell you what size Sonic drink you can get anymore. Because <laughs> if there's Sonic in heaven, you can have whatever Jesus lets you, and he has nothing to say about it. Isn't that awesome? There's a little story behind that, because I, I, I feel even before uh, Andrew and Chelsea even looked at each other uh, towards uh, romance, I considered myself like uncle, crazy uncle CJ. And so I know all the rules Ken has, and there's just something in me when I when I'm able to give his girls a ride somewhere I just want to break them you know like what do you want to eat you want you want a large pizza all to yourself got it you know I don't know what it is I'll be a really terrible grandpa I can tell at least to my kids but we need to understand that heaven is is just I, I, I think that they, I really believe that maybe we need to spend a lot more time thinking about heaven I think we really need to meditate more on what Scripture tells us and connect with our eternal home. Because listen, we talked about identity. Daryl, sometimes even doing ministry, you lose your identity in Christ. And, and listen, that is our identity. 
That is our nation. That's where we reside. That's where we will reside. We're just aliens passing through. Listen, those are scriptures and just words to us until we really connect in our hearts and understand that is truly our identity in Christ. You know, if you can live in that moment, I wonder what that does to you when you go to work and your boss is being a jerk. What does that do to you when you understand that you're just there to try to impact them for Christ and whether they pay you or not, God's going to have your bills taken care of? I mean, really. I, listen, as, as New Song Church, there's a lot of church culture and stuff that goes on. So let's just try to, let's try to get in a little weird mode here where we wipe out some of the things we know in church. Let's think about if we all together start, not just because I'm your pastor, we start living in that kind of way. But what happens to our lives and what happens to our community if a group of people really connect to what heaven is for them and start living like it? So God wants you to have a vision for heaven. And before every Christian can have a vision for their lives, they must first have that vision for heaven because you can't fully understand what God would possibly do with your life until you have that vision for heaven. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the first 10 verses of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says, Now we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, because, we, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened. Because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, so that, that, that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now it is God who has made us for this very purpose, and has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. That means the Holy Spirit living in us, how He wants to operate in us, when we let loose and let Him do that, it, it's like you get to taste heaven. You get to understand what it is to get rid of that mortalness and put on the eternal because obviously I don't have, there's no such thing as ESP. And so if God downloads something for me, for Danny, that nobody else would know and I tell Danny, then in that moment, in that gift of the Holy Spirit and his working, we get to taste this is what heaven's like. We've bypassed all the crud of the world and we've spoken in each other's life in a supernatural way and by the power of God and so the Spirit lives in us and that is a taste of heaven. Because in heaven, we're not having to get past all the crud. It's just that type of spiritual living where, where we are ministered to all the time. We don't have any more needs in the same sense that we did before but, but we are still at work in heaven. I've told you that before. I believe we'll have jobs. We'll, that new heaven and new earth will rule. There's obviously uh, jobs to do but it's fulfilling and without... The, the sweat of our brow and without hurting our bodies and, and, and tiring. So what is in a vision of heaven? Well, heaven, the place, if we, uh, we, we see in that verse, now we know that if earth, the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Heaven is a house, not a museum. Heaven is a home for the family of God. That, that, you know, when we start doing and we're getting ready to get back to those Sunday nights at my house and we have 16 or less of you come into our home, you know, we get tied up in our earthly things and we, we have to 
clean up the mess from the week and we have to get prepared for the guests when we come and, and there's work in it and then you, you visit and you fellowship and you eat and then everybody goes home and you're somewhat tired because that took a lot of energy to come together. But this is an eternal home. We all live together. There's no preparation for us to come together. We're continually in the, most, the deepest fellowship possible because God created it. Now it is God who made us for this purpose, this very purpose, and has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing. This is like you go down to the bank. He he makes a deposit in your life. This is the Spirit. This is you're on hold now. This is for you to understand, guaranteeing that that what is to come, that, that the Spirit, the way He's moving in you, is just a taste of heaven. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. We live by faith, not by sight. So that's another part to, to really living out that vision of heaven is as long as I'm here in this body, I'm away from where I belong. I'm, I'm here, placed here for a purpose. He's got a vision for my life. He wants to give me that vision. But, but I need to always keep in mind it's really not here is where I'm going to end up. This is really not my home. And so that's what the Scripture's saying. We're created for the purpose of spending eternity with God. The Holy Spirit was given to us as a guarantee of heaven. And we are to always be confident that we're going to heaven. We get to go to heaven by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. No, listen, I, I, I've mentioned before and I've grown up around, uh, I, I push away from anything that becomes like the positive confession. And, and, and I'm understanding why God has had me harp on this, but I've not really completed uh, the, the complete thought of where we should go with this. But listen, I... I understand that there's also another danger. We could go too far into trying to command God and tell him what he's going to do, like as if it's our power, not his. But we can be on the opposite end where we live very unfaithfully, where we have someone sick and we say, well, I hope God heals them. Well, it's just words, Pastor CJ. You know what? Your heart will follow that. It will become a train of thought will continue. Well, woe is me. I've got all these things going wrong. And you know, and... And uh, bless God, I'm, I'm just making it through. But listen, it becomes a train of thought. It becomes a mindset. It becomes a way you begin to live. And before you know it, you can't have the faith to say, in Jesus' name, be healed, because you can't even say it for yourself. You can't believe it for yourself, so you can't believe it truly for anybody else. You're, you're, you're believing in a temporal way. Well, I'll just leave it up to God. He will or he won't. Well, that's not what he asked us to do. Praise him anyway, no matter what. But see, it's a crazy concept, and I'm, I've been trying to get through with this. There's been several deaths. I remember um, some of you know Cindy Rucker when she went to be with the Lord. Before that, her daughter was in a car wreck, and me and Pastor Roger walked in just as they were telling her the news that Misty had passed. And we walked to that room, and, and then they asked us on a long trip back at about 1 or 2 in the morning to go tell Ernie his mom has passed. And listen, that, that takes compassion. Uh, you're, you're not necessarily always talking to people who are at a place that they are prepared to handle that spiritually and they're not a, maybe, maybe they're not at a mature spot. But for us, though, as those who are ministering to them, we've got to make sure that we aren't using words and verbiage that conveys to them and gets them on a train of thought that distrust God. I don't tell them God is going to heal him because I don't know that. I'm going to say I believe for that healing, and if God doesn't, we need to understand that he's still in control. He's still in control if he doesn't. But that's not my job to figure out whether he's not or not. It's my job to believe that it will happen. 
It's my job to proclaim God's goodness, his power, his majesty, his abilities, his foreverness, his all-powerfulness. That's my job. It's for me to understand in his scripture, there's no ifs or maybes. If they get healed here, he gets the glory. If they get healed in heaven, he should get the glory. Well, Pastor CJ, what about the unbeliever? Well, don't say things that you don't mean. Are you saying I should tell the, the family, well, hey, I'm sorry, but they're in hell now? No. I'm not saying in an instance of the moment you say that. I'm saying that you don't sit there and say, well, he's in a, they're in a better place now. Listen, that's the uncomfortable part about following Jesus and doing as Jesus did, is you've got you to gotta be people of the truth, too. You've you got to be careful that you're not trying to bend to, to comfort and, and be untruthful, but at the same time, part of the problem might be that you lost your faith that God can do something. Listen, I've not been on this plane but one time where I really believed that I could maybe uh, raise somebody from the dead. And I've told you guys before this, when Pastor Jim passed away and we got there too late and I got to the Mayo Clinic and it was 3 in the morning and it was closed and locked and dark and we're hitting the button and the security guy let us in and me and my sister and Annette um, Ashmore, which is uh, Dunphy now, she, we went up there and, and Lynn and everybody was gone and the hospital was empty and they'd already taken him to the morgue and... My sister and uh, Annette said, we're going to get a hotel, and let's go ahead and leave and get some sleep, and we'll catch up with the family in the morning. And I couldn't leave. I couldn't leave. God, I just didn't feel a release. His body was there, and I knew that maybe he's in heaven, but I couldn't leave. And for the first time in my life, I got determined. I remembered, and I couldn't even remember the scripture reference at the time, but I remembered that in the Bible somewhere, someone laid across the body, and they were brought back to life. And I was prepared to do it. As weird as it might seem, where my heart was at. And listen, I covet that time because I'm not sure if I'll ever hit that again in my life, where someone's dead and I believe I go lay across their body and they'd be raised. And unfortunately, like I've said before, the morgue was locked really well. I guess they're afraid of people doing things like that. I don't know, but they lock them up. I know, I know they're not worried about people escaping on their own, but apparently they're worried about people coming in and helping them to escape. I don't know. How often did Paul think of heaven? Well, Verse 2 through 4, meanwhile we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, because when we're clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened, because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, so that, that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. And that's what I'm getting at. Some point where God got me to the place where if he takes me early, because he, he's the only one with the keys to heaven, death, hell, and the grave, if he takes me early, then my wife and kids will be better off without me here. Because that's the only way he's going to allow it to happen. Will they go through some suffering? Will it be difficult for them to be raised if they don't have a, someone step in as father? Will all those things? Yes, possibly. I understand. In the natural, yes, there's difficulties, there's trials. Can God take that and shape them and make those little boys warriors for God and be stronger and tougher than nails, more so because of what they went through? Well, some of you know what that's like to lose a parent early. And, and while you would not wish that to happen again, while you would not want to go through that again, God was in control. He still is. And whether you know it or not, he's used that for his purpose probably over and over and over and over, and over again. There may be more of a toughness. There may be more of a tenderness. Maybe both. People who are going through that. Now you understand. Now you can minister. God's used it. And he was in control. 
Paul thought of heaven all the time. So we groan for heaven. We long for heaven. We are burdened for heaven. And how different, as I said before, our lives would be if we spent a lot more time thinking about heaven. How different our conversations would be. You know what? I'm missing this in my life. I'm missing this from my relationships with you. Why aren't we talking about heaven? We get a very short time together because of our culture and our, our schedules. And I'm just going to challenge you something. I want you to think about this. This isn't meant to make you feel condemned, make you feel bad. But think about it. What is wrong with us for not talking about heaven together very often? What is it in us that wants to bring our problems to each other first? Not a bad thing, but why is it that heaven gets excluded? See, I'm starting to realize in my life that my speech as a believer is a clear view of my spiritual walk with the Lord. And, and until I'm ready to accept that, then I'm not teachable. Until I'm ready to accept that, then I'm not correctable. Uh, until I'm ready to accept that, I'm not ready to really move forward with God. I'm going to stay in the same rut that I've been in, and I'm going to stay there for as long as I can until I'm ready to admit I do have some issues, and I don't do things like I should. And there are some things like that that talking about heaven may seem like, well, just talking about it doesn't do anything. Well, listen, you start focusing and meditating on your heavenly home and where you're going, it might just change the way you believe about your walk with the Lord. Like, hey, I am headed there. Hey, listen, I did mess up, but God has got uh, my name written in the Lamb's Book of Life, and I am going. I'm on my way. Maybe we don't so worry about retirement so much. We let God take care of that and how we're going to afford it and what we're going to do. For those of us who are young and we feel like we're spinning our wheels, not getting anywhere, putting anything back for who's going to take care of us? What if the government doesn't and all that? Well, maybe it's because we've lost connection with our eternal home and the reality of it and now we think we've got only the temporary, temporary to take care of us. How differently would we handle our possessions? What difference would it make in our attitude? What difference would it make in our prayers, in our giving? Also, heaven as a prize says, so we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive what is due for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Going to be an accounting, right? Most of us, if we're, if we're honest, we just want to get into heaven, but we don't think about it enough and we're losing touch with it. Heaven is a prize. The picture here is the judgment seat of Christ. We want to know what types of rewards are there for us in heaven. Well, there's three categories of rewards. And we're going to hit these pretty quickly. One, power. Luke 19, verses 15 through 19. Somebody want to read that? I've got it here, but somebody want to read Luke chapter 19, 15 through 19. So 19, 15 through 19. Luke. And someone can be ready to read the next one, Matthew 19, 21. So that first one was Luke 19, 15 through 19. The second one is Matthew 19 through 21. And then someone can be ready for the third and fourth one, which is Psalms 16, 11 is the third one. Psalms 16, 11. And then the fourth one, Matthew 19, verse 29. So the person that takes Matthew 19, maybe you should just take 21 and then verse 29. All right, so who's got the first one, which is Luke 
19, 15 through 19. Go, Daryl. That's fine. So the just of it is sowing and reaping. It's a concept of I'm taking what God has given me. I've planted, I've sowed it, and maybe others watered, but there's been a harvest at the end. So I didn't just sit on it. So when you become saved and God begins to develop you and you spend time in God's Word, if you're focused on growing, then if you take that and sit on it, it's going to sour and you're going to become uh, uh, you're going to become a very stinky Christian. But if you take that and plant it in others, you go out, you get with Danny and you go on the outreach, and you go to door to door, or that person at work, or your family members that don't know, you, you let the Holy Spirit light you up and you take that boldness and you share with them. So when you do that and there's an increase, then there's rewards. And so that's one of the rewards in heaven is we're rewarded because of what we did with what God gave us in the spiritual realm. Number two, possessions. Matthew nineteen twenty one. And verse 29. So Matthew chapter 19, verses 21, and then you can read 29. We'll, we'll mix it up here. Okay, so that, that's on possession. So number two is possessions. We actually, there is some um, tangible rewards. Um, I'm not sure what crowns look like and jewels and all that, how that looks in heaven, where, where that plays into, but something of, of gain there. And then that, that last one, did you read 29 yet? Verse 29. Okay, in Psalm 1611, and that was on pleasures. The third one is pleasures, so the the other verse for that is Psalm 1611. Somebody have that? Okay, say. Okay, so uh, so I, I want to bounce off that first scripture. Uh, you list that, the people who have lost family early. But more so, probably what we're talking about is those who are persecuted faith from their own family. Those who maybe Muslim families where there's a Christian and they're ostracized or they're beheaded or they're, uh, you know, different things like that. But, but if, if you've lost in relationship because of your walk with Christ, then you're going to be rewarded well over that. So um, pleasing Jesus is how we get rewards in heaven. And we please him by taking what he's done in us and multiplying it through evangelism, through discipleship. So we make our goal to please him, whether we are at home or in the body or away from it, it says in verse 10. So how do we please Jesus? By finding out and fulfilling God's vision for your life. So when you have the vision for heaven, when you totally are sold out into that vision, and then you can grasp that God's got greater things for your life, you start living differently, you start planting and sowing and, and reaping, and then you find out, you're like, all of a sudden the light comes on and say, this is what being a believer is all about. 
And those moments, you know, like I have a few that I can, I don't mean them in bragging, but I call to, uh, like the Mike, Michael Carroll and the three men on the same stretch of highway. Totally supernatural, totally God. Uh, never be able to doubt that in my life. And I got that to hang on to because I'm like, yes, I felt alive. Listen, there's times I can feel dead in the services here. Because I might be trying my hardest to preach something that God's given me and I look at the faces and I'm like, I'm bombing this, God. And uh, I didn't get enough time with you and, and everybody's kind of leaving like, oh, that's all right, you know. And, and you have those moments. Then there's times on the side of the highway and you're praying with some guy and he's accepting the Lord and, and you realize, man, this is what being a follower of Christ is all about because it's multiplying. And the same with you. You see someone come up to the altar. What if you just assume that they're, since they're a believer, that maybe... Uh, they don't need anything because they're at the altar. What if you got out of your seat and went down and prayed with them and maybe you find out that God gives you a word for them which literally changes the course of their life, maybe saves them from tragedy or struggle, and your life comes alive. You're like, this is what being a believer is all about. We're now delving into the eternal. We're now having these tastes of heaven. It's no more temporary. Now I understand that there is something very eternal about living for Christ. That's right. So do I have a vision of heaven? Do I need a vision of heaven? Do I live my life with an eternal perspective? And I want to read to you Philippians chapter 3, 13 through 16. Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 through 16. But one thing I do. Must have taken Dale Carnegie. They teach you to have one action, one result. He's giving you the one thing. The one thing I do. Forgetting what's behind... Forgetting what's behind you. How many of you have thought about the past this week? Nobody wants to admit to it. It's okay. It's all right. Forgetting what's behind and straining toward what is ahead. Not taking a stroll. Not waiting to catch the bus. But straining towards what's ahead. Towards a goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things. Ah, maturity in Christ is where we're headed. Maturity is what we should strive for, right? Because that's when we start getting it. That's what it's saying. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Man, I want to use that every time somebody comes up with a difference on Scripture or I think I should preach something different. God will make it clear to us. Just, let's just wait. All right? Or maybe I need to listen. I don't, you know, but. And then Habakkuk. This is part two. We're going to, normally we end at eight. If you give me about five more minutes, I want to, I want to try to sum up part two. Because I don't know what God's going to do next week. If I need to back up and, and do a little recap and let's get more into it, that's fine. Habakkuk chapter 2, 1 through 3. I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. Then the Lord replied, Write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that, you, that, that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and it will not be proven false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. 
if Lynn Blankenship had not wrote down what God told her 10 years before New Song, one day Pastor Jim would go build a church and he wouldn't build it, but a spiritual son would. He'd die early. If she had not written it down and shared it with someone where it could be carried and heralded out and proven that God had spoken it and not just for her to say later verbally, hey, guess what God told me 10 years ago? You see, there is an importance to us taking what God tells us. Write it down. Make it to where it can be taken and spread. Do it in such a way that it can be carried out beyond you. Some of us think because we're young and we think maybe we're immature that God can't speak to us in a way that maybe we should write it down. One day our children might be reading it and it might change the course of their life. Write it down. Prayer journals. Scripture reading journals. Pass it on to your kids. So we, so we see that the vision message is a witness pointing to what's coming. It aches for the coming. I can't hardly wait. That's the attitude we have. And it doesn't lie. It, it, if it seems slow in coming, wait. It's on its way. It's part I have trouble with. God's been kind of teaching me through this building project a little bit. We, we've had ups and downs and had another guy leave the site mad saying he wasn't going to do anything. And, and I started just calling him and try to pull him back. And I just had a check. I was like, just wait. 30 minutes later, my phone... I'd missed a call, and I was in, and, and I got busy and couldn't call back. Well, uh, later I thought God's probably making that person kind of stew in their discomfort because they reacted badly. And so we sometimes have to let God do a little more work on someone, and we be patient for the answer to come. Don't get too impatient when your unbelievers around you and your family members aren't really heeding your words that God's given you to them. It, God's probably making it hard for them to sleep at night. They're probably milling over that. So let me give you this. Your vision will contain you. Your vision will contain you. Too often people confuse desire with vision. This isn't about your wants and needs. This is about God's wants and needs for you. Desire will fail. The thing you really want so badly to do right now will be different later. Mom and dad went. Well, dad left early, but I was doing bodybuilding one time up on a stage. And I know my dad's walk, and it was totally dark, and all you can see is figures, but I could sure tell which one was my dad walking out the door because I got up there, and when he realized that I was going to be pranced around in the thing, you know, showing, trying to show muscles, I'm embarrassing myself here for your sake, so you guys can laugh. It's okay. Uh, this is probably the first time I've told this, all right? So big treat for you, right? But uh, big visions of bodybuilder, right, and doing these things, and, and I'm going to be this spectacle of, of muscle and so and people are gonna awe at it you know and it turned out just about how god figured it would turn out right and dad gets a laugh because he he told me probably multiple times it's a stupid son pick something else to do it was really funny it's really funny now wasn't funny for them but your vision will contain you Desire will fail. It's merely a desire. It will be self-driven. But if it's a vision, it will drive you. Uh, pa uh, Pastor Brian Jarrett talked about a, a term called holy discontentment. It, it's that thing like a, like a Billy Graham who can't sleep at night because he keeps seeing a stadium filled with people and then come to the Lord and he has to do something about it. It's a hold of Bentane and Mark Bentane who go to the trash dumps in India and see kids poking around for food and, and the despair and said, no, we have to do something about this. And for 60 years, she is. And so it's a holy discontentment. It's that thing that keeps you up at night. That's a vision from God because it won't leave you alone. And I think my dad told me this, and maybe it come from someone else too, but he always told me, son, if you can do anything else other than ministry and be happy, then you weren't called. 
Because if you're called to ministry, you won't be miserable. And I remember the time when Jennifer's sister and brother-in-law, who were missionaries in China, got so frustrated on the field, they're ready to quit missions altogether. And they were talking to me about a job at Walmart corporate office because I'm working there. And I remember I'm sitting on my couch in Bella Vista in, in that second-hand couch I got from my sister. And I'm looking at him, and this holy discontentment stirred up in me. And I looked him straight in the eye and I said, you don't realize what you're asking for. I said, you don't understand how good you've got it. It may be tough in the field, but you're fulfilling your call. I, I can't even express how miserable it is to be doing something other than what God's called you to do. And he walked out that door, and this is honest truth. I turned to Jen, and you guys want to know how this really first started, me standing here before you? As I turned to her, I said, babe, I think I just convinced myself that I need to be in ministry. And I started on the path. God used me getting stirred up because he was about to make the wrong decision, and they left and, and stayed on the field. God used me in that moment, but he used it also to turn me around. Horses wear blinders to keep them from being distracted by obstacles around them. Sometimes we need people in our lives who will be the blinders to keep us focused too. Vision is a conscious, mental, and spiritual picture of a possibility of what can, we can become. I, I want everyone here so badly, it doesn't matter, every single person in this room, even the ones in the back, if they could hear this, do you understand that there is no limit to what God can do with you? Look, I, I'm C.J. Brummett. I'm flawed. I'm probably the oddest pick for a pastor is, and I'm telling you, it's the truth. God can do something with you amazing. I stand out of that land to look around and say, God, I'm not, I can't do this. I can't. I, I mean, a contractor would charge us $150,000 to do what I'm trying to do. And he has experience, and that's his job, and he knows what he's doing. What are you thinking asking me to, to do this just, just to try to save some money? And, and, and I'm like, God, what are you doing? But the thing is, is that I'm standing here knowing that some years back, I would have thought it was crazy for me to even be elected as a pastor. What church would do that? I'm sure Lynn and my parents, as much as they love me, and they probably never admit it, I know every single one of them thought, oh, Lord, what's going to happen to New Song? Uh, maybe maybe they had some surety from God that was greater than I think. But I was thinking it myself. Uh, I, when Pastor Roger said that, I thought, oh, Lynn is never going to go for this. Not that it was her full say, oh, the district, they know enough about me. I, I mean, the Brahmins had a good name in ministry, but everybody knew that I'd be the one to mess it up, right? So so what are you doing? And I, I, I know you think I'm being silly, but this is very honest truth. This is really hardcore truth. And whether anybody in my family would admit it, they may see things and think I can see how God could use that. Or, or CJ, you've always been a, a communicator, over-communicator, but a communicator. And, but I'm still telling you, I know my struggles. I know some pretty deep, dark things that God's given me a permission to not ever bring up again. And I'm telling you, I felt totally disqualified. So do you understand that no matter who you are in this room, and your struggles, and your past, and whatever's happened, God can reinvent you in a heartbeat. If he's got a different plan for you, he can do it. You know where mine started? Okay, God, I'm tired of fighting. You do whatever you want to do, and I will go along. I will give it my all. That's all it was. It wasn't an immediate freedom from any bondage I had at the time. It was simply saying, I'm willing. For years, I'd said, as soon as I pay off my debt, God, because they won't let missionaries go on with too much debt. And, and 
you know what? I stayed in debt and I stayed working. I did it uh, forever. Um, I've told the story. Dad, you remember when a certain person in the church was offering to pay, uh, pay for my school loans? Get me out of debt early so I go. I said, no, I really believe God wants me to just work hard and pay for it. And guess what I had to do for 20 years? Work hard, try to pay for it. Guess how it went away? God, I'm not going to try anymore. If you open the door, I'll go through and you'll pay the bill. And boom, 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 boom. Took a motorcycle accident, but we survived. We're fine. But $32,000 of those school loans went away with one bike accident. Acts 9, 15, and 16. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. Listen, Don, you walk into the butter biscuit for your job. But when you walk in the spiritual realm, when you're full of the Holy Spirit and you've prayed and you prayed over that job and you walk in, I, I've said this before and I believe it, in the spiritual realm, the ground shakes beneath your feet and the demons tremble. And whatever he may try to do in that place of business that seems insignificant where he may try to lead people astray or get co-workers plotting to go out and party and do things that could end in destruction, whatever they're doing, you are God's agent. You're called, you're anointed, he's sending you. Whatever trials you have, whatever, if you're not, and unless you're just willfully sinning, just thinking you could just keep doing that. But when you are striving and you're picking yourself back up, God, letting God pick you up after you fall, when you have that kind of heart and you live like heaven is real, it changes everything. Okay, I need to wrap up. I'm just going to give you these last two points pretty quick. Your vision will command you. That kind of ties into what I was just saying. When God gives a vision, something inside us begins to change. When we sing that Angel Army song, uh, I Know Who Goes Before Me, one night my boys were, they, they still, they hate me to admit this, but they have to turn on their light because they're still scared of the dark. And I keep telling them, Dad's got guns. Dad wakes up dozens of times a night. The person be plastered in the front yard before they even got to you. Don't worry about it. But one night, they, they had been allowed to watch something that wasn't necessarily bad for kids. It just was intense, and they were really struggling. And I played that song. And I, I, I went and put it in the laundry room because it's a close room. And I turned up my phone as loud as I could and played that. And I walked in there, and I could see just tears rolling down their eyes, and they started singing it out. And my boys tonight, I saw one of them fist in the air. And I've been praying over them, God, make them warriors for you. And I'm praying it with sincerity, and I'm believing. I don't know what he's going to use them for, but I'm saying whatever you had planned for me, and I delayed too much, and I missed it, use my boys. Vision points you in a direction. Vision gives you an opportunity to become more than you already are. Vision means that you are not living life merely for yourself. Ken, walk out in the middle of a new beginning sometime this week. Put your arms out and just turn around and see what God's vision that he put in you has done, and the lives are being changed. Vision has self-fulfilling destiny when it, it's connected with God. Vision will wake you up in the middle of the night and call out to you. You will not be able to get away from a vision because it will pursue you. Psalms 37, the message, open up before God, keep nothing back. He'll do whatever he needs to be done. He'll validate your life in the clear of the light of day and stamp you with approval at high noon. Number three, your vision will connect you. When Jesus came from heaven to earth, it was because of vision. God is wanting to connect you with people. You cannot be a recluse. You cannot stay in your own, um, own plans and own uh, plotting for the future and 
be more worried about yourself and your plans and others and think you're going to connect with God because that's not how he does things. His, his vision for you will connect you to other people. Difficult people, people you may not like at first, but God will birth something in you that will have compassion for them and will change their lives. It's all about multiplication. It's taking what he's doing with you and spreading it out. Luke 2, 49-50, Why are you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Jesus himself never lost sight of the vision God had given him, what the mission was. He stayed focused. He stayed on point. And that's what it takes. Matthew 16, 18 through 19. And I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not come overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. He said this to a man who was a disciple, who was a living, breathing human being, who was not supernatural. Until he encountered Jesus, he had nothing supernatural about his life. But Jesus said, I will build my church on you, Peter, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And then I want to just end with that Psalms 37, 5 through 6, once again. Open up before God. Keep nothing back. Keep nothing back. He'll do whatever needs to be done. It's not up to you of what gets done other than do you be willing and you go out. Open yourself up before God and keep nothing back. He'll validate your life in the clear light of day and stamp you with approval at high noon. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for your word tonight. And God, as we ramp up for Sunday, for a day of a vision for sure, because this is a big vision. Lord, I'm not going to settle anymore. I'm having a conversation with you right now before these people, uh, and I believe that you brought it by your word. God, as I said when I stepped into ministry, that I'll let you pay the bill and I'll be available. Lord, this building, this debt, right now I commit before these people, the public confession to you, I'll let you pay for it. I'm available. Lord, I'll command, I'll command this army for you if you'll work through me. And God, each and every one of these people with our, with our uh, incomes, Lord, as much as we may look at them as meager, God, whether it be through them or someone you have, but God, you'll pay the bill. We'll, we'll step forward and we'll build your kingdom. We'll be available. Give us each our individual in, uh, visions, Lord, but help us first connect with that vision of heaven like we've never before. Let's be okay with when you take us home. Let's be okay when you take other believers home. Let us celebrate for their graduation and let us truly live uh, different than anybody else lives. Lord, to truly live as you want us to, that we're just passing through. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.